Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Um, today, we're going to talk about engaging your whole brain. And if you're like me, that sounds like a pretty good strategy. I don't think any of you would disagree with me. And I imagine you, like most everybody else, are thinking that you're already doing that. But what we do find is that new metaphors, new angles, new experiences can often give leaders a whole new perspective on the path ahead. So today, we are literally going to talk about how to look through a new lens. It's a new methodology that's getting very positive reactions. And so the first half of the show, we're going to talk about the methodology. And in the second half, we're going to hear from the experience of an executive who's actually used that methodology. So first with me today is Amy Steindler. Amy is founder of Ovation Coaching which offers groundbreaking corporate emotional intelligence programs like Through Your Own Lens. She has EQ assessments and executive coaching. Amy spent 30 years in high-performing corporate environments, including the media giant AOL Time Warner and a bunch of other places um, from Allianz Bernstein, I'm about to stumble on the names here, some IT distributors, tech data, bank technology enabler, Diebold, a bunch of places in sales and marketing and training. And she became a certified EQI 2.0 practitioner to help rehumanize corporate cultures by teaching them emotional skills, intelligence skills. So Amy writes and speaks on topics related to mindfulness, growth, emotional intelligence, creativity, and professional relationships. And she teaches mindfulness classes at the McLeod Tyler Wellness Center, and she also shares insights and ideas on her blog. You can get more about her at ovation.coach, which is her website, or on her LinkedIn profile. All right, Amy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Wanda. I've been uh, I've been listening to your podcast, and so many of them have inspired me and given me some great ideas, so I'm delighted and honored to add mine to, to the mix. Well, delighted to have you. I've been fortunate to have some fabulous guests. And as you well know, this whole topic about emotional intelligence and mindfulness in a related way has been front and center in a lot of things. But what I'm intrigued by is you have a new approach. So, you know, you cite, I cite in your bio that you do all sorts of the standard approaches like EQI 2.0, which I do as well. And it's a great tool. No discredit for it. There's some others as well that I'm really big fans of. But... What You have a new methodology. Before you describe it to me, what got you started on this methodology, and why did we think we need something new? Well, I, I have to give you a little full disclosure first, because when I first started through your own lens, honestly, I wasn't thinking about leadership or mindfulness or whole brain function. I, I was just mashing up a couple of things that I personally can't get enough of. So the outcomes that people get from deeply effective coaching and the the beauty and timelessness and, and experience of photography and it worked so well in the personal development space uh, and it was new in the personal development space that I thought well gosh you know what could it do for leadership development so I didn't consciously set out to do it this way but that might end up being like the winning formula <laughs> 
um, now that you ask the question, it makes sense that we did need something new, and, and here's why. The challenge for me as a coach is that I want to ease the confusion and suffering that comes up when someone in a leadership role or any role, really, encounters a new situation that requires them to think creatively, you know, which, by the way, happens, oh, what, maybe every single day? Yeah. Uh, what, what, what I hear most often, and I will wager like a Jeopardy champ here, I'm going to lay it all down. I bet that every one of your listeners has gotten stuck and said these exact words, I just can't figure this out or I just have to figure it out. And behind that is a giant should. I should be able to figure it out. I'm a leader. I'm solely responsible for figuring it out. And I, I, I hear them say, I just have to figure this out. And there's always this audible strain in their voices. You know, have you ever noticed that you never hear anybody say it calmly? It's never like, oh, yeah. You know, I just have to figure out this massive problem that I'm stumped by, but I'm good. It's all good. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) We have this double whammy. You know, I can't figure it out. My internal narrative is very critical. I should have figured it out by now. You know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I figure it out by myself? Yeah. Yeah. Most of my clients are so bright and they're so used to being able to figure things out. So when they get stuck it's really foreign territory, and, and it's scary. And underneath is this sinister doubt creeping in. You know, they're not used to asking for help. And because they're so smart, it's hard for them to connect to their curiosity, their beginner's mind, even when they find themselves where they've never been before, like in a whole new territory with, without a map. I'm like, I'm like the Google Maps of coaching, you know. My job as a coach is to lay down a few maps, to see which one will help them find their way out. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's this ironic and human thing that we do. We try to think our way out of it, but we don't change the way we think. We continue to see it from the same exact perspective, which is what got us into the stuckness, right? Yeah. We, we double down on this singular focus. It's, it's familiar, but it's a limited perspective. Right. So I have I, these smart, smart leaders. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I hear this, as you do, many, many times from my clients. I have to figure it out. And I want you to notice the word I, and I should be able to figure it out. And in my view, there's buried in that a belief that I should know. I am the leader, and therefore I should be the expert who knows better than anybody else, and I should be able to do it. And again, we come back to that same old trap of expertise, and I agree with you. We keep going about this problem in the same way we've always gone about a problem, but it's a different kind of problem. So we need a different different methodology. I'm sorry? I said, so we need a different methodology. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> so, so tell it, tell me about this methodology. How does it work? And you know, sort of, what do you do with people? Well, the, the, can I can I tell you a couple of other things about the methodology before sure. we go into the exact how? Because there's a, the, the background. I think of this is, is so fascinating. When you, I want to go back to what you're saying about these these smart smart leaders who are coming back again and again to you know, I have to figure it out. Because they're racking their brains, 
but they're only racking the part of their brains that handles critical thinking tasks. They're so focused. You know, their critical thinking is focused only on the problem. But the logical left brain is kind of limited in in what it can do, and it needs the unlimited creativity that comes from what we call right brain. It needs the right brain's observations to break through. Because nobody ever created anything worthwhile. There's no creative solution that came without that eureka moment that comes from making connections that didn't exist before. So, for example, Velcro. Velcro exists because some Swiss engineer looked more closely at how burrs were sticking to the fur on his dog. You know, he was just observing. He wasn't trying to figure out how to keep his shoes on without laces, and he wasn't all, gee, I wish there was a way David Letterman could stick himself to a wall, right? But eventually, that's where it all went. So the need for this methodology, I think, was about teaching people the skill of noticing, like the Swiss Velcro guy, observing noticing, and this is about broadening our focus, not narrowing it down, to see what we haven't been seeing because we've been in tunnel vision mode, seeing only the problem, not the wider world around us, which is where all the clues are. So I wanted to, what I wanted to create, and fortunately the, the neuroscience backs this up, was a productive way to unfocus, which sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it, right? Productive mm-hmm. unfocus. How can unfocus be productive? And isn't yeah. the point of being unfocused? to let go of productivity. But what I saw, and and the reason this methodology exists now, is that that unfocusing is a letting go. It's a surrender. It's a stress-free zone where we can allow our thinking to evolve and connect to our unique creativity, our unique genius. And we we can't be all balled up in stress mode and expect to be creative or solve problems or come up with solid and useful answers. So I'm creating the conditions for leaders to make these odd and wonderful connections happen so they can come up with creative solutions and see the paths to overcoming stress or overwhelm, find new ways of, of being in their jobs and their lives, not just doing their jobs. And you, you, don't, you just don't come up with these novel connections and solutions by sitting around and thinking hard. You can't emerge with something new if your focus never changes. I think Einstein was credited with saying, you've probably heard this, that you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, no, I, I don't know if he actually said it, but it rings true, and the neuroscience is, is explaining why. And I, yeah. I, I, I can't teach this effectively by standing in front of a room and talking about it. I wrote an article on LinkedIn recently where I think leadership development training sessions, this is what you you, uh, alluded to earlier, they're getting stale in their sameness. You know, they teach a concept, give you the worksheets, have you discuss it at your table, report back to the larger group. And I don't think leaders appreciate that kind of schooling, nor do they get enough out of it to sit through it. You know, they have to experience the learning and the change. And that's where the real power of this methodology comes in. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I, I could have answered in like three sentences. You know, we need this methodology <laughs> because we need to learn how to think differently. And I'm asking people to focus on their focus. What's calling their attention? Be aware, to be mindful of where they're focusing their attention and then changing focus, okay. which is the fastest and easiest way to, to facilitate, facilitate it. Okay. okay. 
It's um, certainly all of this, what you're saying, rings very true with everything I know about innovation and creative thinking, and that the breakthroughs happen when I make connections from one space that is totally unrelated into another space. I mean, that's the history of inventions pretty much around the world, pretty much throughout time. And so I get this sense that rather than focusing and trying to apply the logical, critical thinking, that what we need to do is broaden and unfocus in order to observe in a different way. Okay? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Perfect. So can you tell us now how it works? Are you ready? <laughs> yes, I'm ready. <laughs> I have so to how, does, that how does this methodology work? <laughs> Well, when I designed Through Your Own Lens, I had this instinctive sense that if, if, if we literally saw things differently, we could treat what we saw as a metaphor. And for me, you know, the metaphors I chose to work with would help me understand what I tended to focus on when I had a problem. So I could begin to see what else was there when I, I looked a little more broadly. And I realized I could use it to help me see how I was focusing my attention and what I was missing. So the best way to describe it might be. Have, have you ever taken a picture of something that caught your eye and then you look beyond what the original intention, the, the subject of the photo was, and you suddenly see something that you didn't notice when you were looking through the viewfinder? Yeah, yeah. Like a, a weird photo bomber or a tree growing out of somebody's head or an yeah, object. All sorts that, like, of things, yeah. Right? So this new thing, this unexpected thing, just absolutely makes the photo. It changes the story in the photo. So the camera lens in, in, in this methodology is, is an extension of your own eye, and the beauty of this is that it captures what you see when you're looking through the viewfinder and what you don't see. So now you have a chance to see what you weren't focused on, and sometimes that's what makes the, the picture valuable. So, so this is how it works. This process begins to train us to look for what we're not seeing because we're so focused on the main event, you know, the problem in this case, and we miss a bunch of valuable information. Mm-hmm. So you alluded to this also earlier. You know, the thing is, if I could have figured it out cognitively by now, by thinking about it more, I would have. So when I personally feel like I have to knuckle down and chain myself to the desk to solve a problem, that's my cue to say to myself, hmm, if I can't think my way out of it, maybe I can see my way clear to a solution. See what I did there? Yep. yep. <laughs> you know, and you naturally shift to metaphor. And we'll talk more about metaphor when we talk about why this works. But for now, I'd like to mention that when I finished coach training, one of the tools that worked so brilliantly for just about everyone, including myself, was metaphor. Yeah. And I found it was the best way to keep myself from believing that the habitual narratives we tell ourselves are, are the one and only intrinsic truth because they're not. A metaphor gives us this foolproof way of smashing those shoulds that we all carry around right. by allowing our brains to come at a problem from a completely different direction. So we're, in essence, excuse me, tricking our brains to let go of the narrative and inevitably new information starts to bubble up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I get the notion that this is seeing 
what you're not seeing. Because I know that it's true. You know, we walk down the same street, we walk to the office building, we walk home or drive home, and there's so much we don't see even when we're trying to see. So there's no question that we filter through information um, in ways I don't think we even imagine. So I can see, I can completely imagine how this sort of makes some sense here. That I want to begin to see what I couldn't see before. And that I find a new metaphor that helps me think about it in a different way. But how do you get people to do this? What What's the mechanics for, you know, how you get them to, to go out? Are you asking, you know, just sort of the, the, the how, how the, the photo assignments work? Do you want to get into the detail yeah, of the yeah. of how we do that? Just okay. give yeah. give me a sample of what that assignment looks like. You got it. So, uh, when I run a retreat, uh, I intentionally have a few things going on immediately, right, to get the participants looking around in an environment that they may or not may not be familiar with. And so I'll give them an assignment that focuses their attention differently from usual to get them into the frame of mind we want right from the start and it never fails to blow their minds. There's always this, wait, what moment when they, they realize they've already shifted their perspective. So it might be something as simple as, hey, I want you to walk around the room and take a photo of something that you wouldn't normally notice. Okay. And so okay. they, they come through with things that, you know, and the photographs themselves are, are really striking. And every one of them, and none of these people are photographers, but there's something that they, they, they just wouldn't have seen before. Okay. Okay. And so this is, you know, this, we start with an activity that uh, basically amounts to a, a subtle proof statement, you know, that what mm-hmm. we're going to do all day really works. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can see how that works, that you get people in a bit more of a contained environment just practicing the the process of observing, just seeing the world that they, stopping to see the world that they hadn't bothered to notice before. And there's plenty of those sorts of things. And then I can imagine the discussion on that one is quite lively. I can imagine you got 20 people or 10 people in the room there are a bunch of things that people photograph that you hadn't even seen were there in the first place. Am I right about that assumption? You are absolutely right. And, you know, I, I've, I've been thinking about the size of the group, which are the different conversation altogether. Um, uh, one of the, the groups I had back in November was really small, it was like four people. Yeah. So there was this really deep dive on it. But all the different perspectives were fascinating. So, you know, if one person takes a picture of something they normally wouldn't have noticed, the other people are like, wow, I didn't notice that either. And so here's what I'm now seeing that I didn't see before. Yeah. So yeah, you're spot on. Okay. All right. And so then what happens? We have a discussion about this and you send them out in the world or is there a more detail? I mean, can you describe a little bit more of what comes next? Yeah, I, I think there's a step before they go out. So this is sort of the coming in exercise. You know, let's just take a look mm-hmm. around us. Um, you know, the next thing I do is what you would do in any um, group uh, retreat, uh, design the relationship. We set the ground rules for psychological safety, right? If you've got mm-hmm. a group of leaders, you want to create that feeling of psychological safety for, for the deep dive that, that these retreats are designed for. So we take a little time right. there. And then I give them some time, and this is really important. So I give them some time to focus on the intractable problems that they're stuck on. So maybe two or three. And I'll guide them to write about these 
these issues they're facing in specific ways that will come into play later on, and I'll ask them to include some particular kind of details about what they're grappling with. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I want that to, to show up for them, because we, we put these aside intentionally, and we move on to more experiential exercises and assignments. But this way, while we've acknowledged the issues and engaged our brains in thinking about them, everything from here on out is going to be about shifting that thinking. Mm-hmm. And I, I've recently redesigned the writing assignment itself, so it's designed to initiate the shift sooner. We, we let the brain acknowledge the problem, but we don't keep the issue front and center. It's designed to immediately shift, like a, like a diversionary tactic. Right. And we start to engage the emotional and physical aspects of, of being stuck with the problem. Great. So okay. Then, you know, I'll just... I'll just I'll design assignments that are different, you know, based on the specific group I'm working with and what I think might be the best diversionary exploration, and we call it a little photo safari. And the the photo safari assignments are usually an intuitive thing for me. You know, it's a guess at what might be most helpful. But the truth is, and you probably sense this already, it doesn't really matter what I specifically ask them to look for. The important thing is that now they're off on a walking seeing meditation, no longer thinking, just seeing, you know, no longer thinking, just being. You know, I've done these retreats um, mostly in my hometown, which is Annapolis, Maryland, and it's in an area that has a wonderful variety of visual stimulation, you know, there's a historic downtown, there's these beautiful residential areas, and you know, homes where, where people live. Um, can make for really interesting metaphorical explorations, right. you know, what fascinates us about where other people live. And there are shops with interesting things in the windows, museums, centuries-old graveyards, and, of course, there's the water, the sailboats, the Naval Academy. So, you know, I've lived here for 30 years, and people come back having noticed things I've walked by a 100 times. And, you know, they see something that resonates with them, and they don't know why until I take them through the process of seeing what's there and relating that back ultimately to what they came in with, what they wrote about when we were focusing on their problems. Wow. So I know when, when, when you bring Andrea in for the second half of the show, her examples are stunning, and, and I don't want to give them away. So, But I, I can, if you're interested, I can tell you a couple stories from some of the other participants. Yeah, just so, one story um, would be good to get a sense of this for someone. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's call the first person Karen. It's not her real name, but she has given me permission to to share her photos and her stories. So so Karen takes this wonderful photo. She's out walking around, and I wish you could see it. Maybe we can post a link to it um, on your on your podcast. So she she takes a picture in the residential area of a line of trash cans in front of someone's garage. And I gotta say, you know, for a picture of a line of trash cans, it's a really stunning photograph. These trash cans are lined up precisely, you know, with exactly the same amount of space between the cans, right? Who does that? Who puts their garbage out like that? So there was this orderliness about the garbage and this perfect measurement between them, right? She took the photo on a really sharp angle so that the cans looked like they were on a steep hill, like defying gravity, like something out of San Francisco, which was an interesting thing for her to do. It was an interesting choice because I challenge everyone, you know, question any perspective that's common, 
like, you know, let me just take this picture straight on. So one question for her to explore is what made her want to see the subject of her photo from this particular angle? What's significant to her about this very sharp 45-degree angle? And, and where else in her leadership does she find herself wanting to look at things from a disruptive new angle? And this is unique to her. Her subconscious led her to frame it this way. You know, anyone else might have walked by it and taken a different picture. So my job is to help her pull out all the intentional and unintentional meaning. So when she looked closer... One of the cans had no lid, and the trash, uh, in this case, it was like yard waste. It was coming over the top of the can, and I remember her saying, so it, it's not perfect after all, and I don't know why, but that's kind of a relief. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, she noticed that she could change her beliefs about perfection to believe mm-hmm. that as a leader, all her attempts at perfect orderliness might not be necessary. You know, she doesn't have to have all the right answers or come up with the perfect deliverable. And she she named the photo Imperfection. And this began her personal exploration of why imperfection could still lead to outstanding leadership. That sense of relief is what I was talking about in the very beginning when I talked about wanting to help leaders find that ease. She doesn't have to figure anything out. She feels an ease and going forward from the place she is right now to embrace perfection, find what's good about it, to to see it as a thing of beauty if you want to get a little ethereal about it, and to Mm -hmm. see it as worthwhile anyway, you know, to begin to embrace the vulnerability of being an imperfect leader. Wow. So that's one example. I got another that's a gr- one. If we have that's time. okay. That's a great example, um, and it's perfect okay. timing too on this one. What strikes me, and so I now I see why you're so committed to the notion of the metaphor. But I can well imagine that it takes someone like you to help people see what's there, what the unintended or unintentional or perhaps not completely conscious meaning is there that needs to come out um, like with this trash can and I, I can see how you get to that with just asking some interesting questions why this angle, why this particular way, what's that about is that a fair summary? Exactly and I... okay, alright I... so what a fascinating, so we're going to take a break at this point, what a fascinating way to think about dealing with problems that seem un- intractable meaning your cognitive brain, your expertise, your logic analysis haven't yet generated a solution and therefore are not likely to generate a solution. So we're looking for in this methodology that um, Amy has coined through your own lens as a way of seeing what you're not seeing through your own lens, through your own photography and unfocusing your mind to see what else is there and using that as a metaphor to break through to whatever is the problem that you're thinking about wanting to get traction on, I guess, is the best way to describe it. So my guest today, again, is Amy Steindler. Amy is the founder of Ovation Coaching, and you can find more about her at www.ovation.coach. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to create and bring in an executive, Andrea Howe, who's actually gone through this methodology and have her describe her own experience of what it was like. We'll be right back.
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. We've been talking about how to break through your own thinking, engage your whole brain in a different way, look at the metaphors that you've been using, and see through a different perspective. And we've talking about this through Amy Steindler's new methodology called Through Your Own Lens. And it's a way of using the subject of photography to get you to see what you've not been seeing and to unfocus your mind rather than just relying on that analytical critical component that hasn't helped you make break through the problem in the first place. So now to unsee, if you will, and see in a different perspective. So what we're going to do now is to talk to somebody who's actually been through this methodology and hear her experiences about it. So the guest on this half is Andrea Howe. Andrea is co-author with Charles Green of the Trusted Advisor Fieldbook, which is a comprehensive toolkit for leading with trust. And she's also the founder of the Get Real Project, and she's a principal with Trusted Advisor Associates. Um, Andrea also is a recovering information technology consultant, having spent more than 25 years working with clients, managing projects, facilitating groups of all kinds. And in 2006, she got laser focused on the subject of trust at work, especially how to create exceptional relationships. She's worked with executive teams all over the world in many places, and she's consistently described by her audiences as thought-provoking, engaging, and real. And I'll also give a plug-in that I'm a big fan of the work with Charles Green and has also been a a podcast guest in the past. So, Andrea, delighted to have you here. Thank you, Wanda. So happy to be here. I'm looking forward to hearing this. So you participated in one of these workshops through your own lens that Amy ran. Tell us about that experience. I did. In fact, I've participated twice, and I would do it in a heartbeat again, just for the record. So it's not a one-and-done kind of thing. It's just a fascinating experience. 
Um, so, what would you like me to start with? What's most helpful about the experience? Well, you said it was fascinating, so tell me why. Well, there are a couple of reasons, but one of the things that I think Amy really hit on when you, just you and she were talking earlier is that, um, you know, bringing back the Einstein quote, we can't solve problems using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. There is something about, and, you know, I was, I'm a corporate person. I've been trained and grown up and shaped by the business world for more years than I care to count. There is something about learning how to unfocus as a way to get access to something in a new and different way that is extraordinary. And it's completely counterintuitive, right? And it's not how I've been taught to tackle problems. It's not how I've um, habitually tackled problems and issues in my life. And quite frankly, it's just a complete and utter relief to come at something not only in a completely different way, but in a way that accesses um, creativity, intuition. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making air quotes around this word. I'm about to say artistry, and I use that mm-hmm. word a little bit um, mm-hmm. haltingly because this isn't about being an artist per se, but it's just... Um, it's so refreshing to do something and approach something in such a in such a different way. Great. So you said there was one reason or two reasons. One was you, uh, the Einstein quote is just a different way of thinking, and that helps you solve problems you couldn't solve otherwise. Is there a yeah. second reason why it was fascinating? I'm sure there is. What was I going to say? Um, Doesn't matter. Well, yeah, well, I, I just, oh, the, the metaphor that Amy brings and the way that she connects um, and the way the design of the, the experience connects the, you know, Amy was talking about the photo safari, you sort of, you know, you go on adventure and then, you, you, you know, you, you, sort of, you surface your issues and then you, you leave them behind and you go off on this photography adventure and then you come back and bring the things together in a way that has metaphor access um, something. It's, it's um, oh, I'm going to use a woo-woo word. It's, it's powerful, but even more than that, there's a bit of magic to it that is right. quite extraordinary. Great. So can you describe what you were working, what the experience was like for you? What did you do? What were you thinking? What happened? Yeah. So um, uh, what did we do? So let me tackle that just in a rough outline. So, you know, you come together. I didn't know anybody in the workshop other than Amy. She does a really nice job of sort of creating community very quickly from the beginning. Um, so the, And then she had us be present to what are the leadership challenges or struggles we're dealing with right now? What are the biggest questions, unanswered questions that we would love to answer um, and then we, I, as I said before, we go on this photo safari, which to me is sort of the heart of the experience, where she turns us loose. <laughs> and the most recent one I did happened to be the launching point was downtown historic Annapolis, Maryland. And there were so many different directions and places we could go. We spent, I want to say it was a couple of hours. Is that right, Amy? Two and a half, maybe three yep. hours that we were out and about? Yep, two hours or so. On our own, with our cameras, I was just using my iPhone. I am not a photographer. I am not an artist in that way. I didn't have anything fancy. 
She gave us very specific guidelines or assignments, things to look for, things to do, which in and of themselves were very were illuminating and fascinating. And we're just we're off um, on this adventure, and then we come back and we we connect and we debrief and we process together, both with a combination of Amy's super insightful questions, but also with the observations of the group, because that's another powerful piece of this experience, is having others who've just been on safari and who've been, who are, you know, pondering, you know, transitional big challenges in their lives, to have them part of the experience and them see, you know, what they see in the images that you've gathered. So that's, a, that's sort of the general structure of the experience. Okay. Okay. Um, so, you know, can you tell us more about what you were thinking about, what the problems were and what the insights were that came to you as a result? Yeah, sure. Um, there are a couple things, specifically as it relates to my business life and my career right now. This is a very transitional time for me. I'm, I have been flirting with writing a new book for about a year and I'm you know, I've been sort of challenged by how best to do that. When do I want to do that? What sort of timeline do I want to be on? Um, you know, I'm sure, Wanda, from the experience of writing a book, that it is, it's more than just putting words to paper. There's a lot that oh, yeah. goes into creating something like that in the world. It's also a transitional time for me in terms of my client base and where do I want to go with the nature of the work that I'm doing. And up until this point, it's just been uh, a source of sort of confusion and struggle and, and consternation and uh, just generally feeling stuck about those things. And okay. one of the amazing things that I got, well, two of the assignments that we got from Amy on our photo safari were to look for some specific things. One was to be intentional about looking at something really differently than you normally would. So you you find something out on the street, you want to take a picture of it, and then she said, then look at it two or three different ways and take two or three different pictures in addition to the one that you took. So that was one, and I found myself um, interestingly really resistant to that because once I got the image that I liked, I didn't want to look at it from any other perspective. <laughs> And the other assignment, which was really illuminating for me, was to capture in an image something that seemed ugly and find beauty in it. And that was the place in particular that I found so many, um, I keep saying the word fascinating, I'm like a a broken record with my word fascinating, but so many illuminating dimensions to that because I literally... um, well, let's see if I can capture this for you quickly. I followed an ugly drain pipe that was spewing debris and leaves and yuck on the sidewalk. And because of the assignment, I had to focus in on this mess on the ground. And one thing led to another. And as I got closer and closer and closer in and actually took a close-up shot of the drain pipe itself, the the gaping hole coming out of the side of a building with all this garbage in it, I found, I kid you not, in the middle of downtown historic Annapolis, two little um, googly eyes. They They were like, you know, like the eyes that you buy in a craft store, that if you shake them, they move around. (laughs) Somebody on the street had put, had stuck these two little googly eyes above this six-inch 
wide open drain pipe as though the pipe were a mouth and the eyes with the pipe were making a face. (laughs) (laughs) And I have walked down that street hundreds and hundreds of times. And if I hadn't been given this assignment, I mean, I may be the only other person in the world aside from the one who stuck the googly eyes there. And now my uh, classmates from Amy's workshop, we may be the only ones in the world who know that those eyes are there. (laughs) (laughs) There And there's such a revelation for me about um, looking for the beauty in what appears to be ugly. So when I look at what I'm struggling with in my business and the things that appear not to be going the way I want them to be going, what's the gift in it? What's the upside? How is what I'm dealing with now preparing me for the next level, the next stage, the next evolution of my leadership and my contribution to the world at the risk of, again, getting a little woo-woo? But the kinds of insights that you get really have that level of profoundness from this experience. Great. Now, did this experience actually help you figure out what you wanted to do about writing your new book, for example, or did it just help you appreciate that there's more to the struggle than you had valued? It has helped me figure out how I want to be as I work through whether and how to write this book. So Uh. it has therefore then unleashed in certain ways, like one of my... uh, I've gotten unstuck in the sense that I have released myself from having to write the proposal in a particular format by a particular time. So I am, uh, if I feel called to write sample chapter number one, then I work on sample chapter number one. If it feels like it's time to put that down, even though it's not finished, and go to my chapter number 16, then I'm giving myself permission to go to Chapter 16. So it's allowing me to stay in the flow with it, if you will, instead of um, having to comply with some prescribed way of going about it that was just having me beat my head against the wall. Ah, okay. In other words, to see the beauty in the ugly, in the chaotic, is that a fair metaphor there? That's absolutely a fair metaphor. And also, too, you know, one of the great um, lessons for me from the safari is just the practice. I I came back with a little mantra or maxim that I realized was representative of my experience, and that mantra or maxim was obey the urge. So, in other words, I found that drain pipe with the googly eyes because at the top of the street I saw a cluster of red flowers halfway down the block, and there's some, a little voice said, go f- to the flowers. And I thought I was supposed to photograph the flowers, but when I got to the flowers, eh, the, the flowers weren't doing it for me. I took a few more steps, and then I found the, you know, the ugliness coming out of the drain pipe spewing into the sidewalk. So it was just a couple of steps beyond. But if I hadn't listened to the voice that said, walk to the flowers, and then, oh, no, you can put the flowers down, see what's next, if I hadn't followed that, again, at the risk of being woo-woo, sort of inner guidance that was emerging, then I wouldn't have discovered what I was discovering. And there's something so profound for me at this point in my life around following instinct, intuition, urge, letting go of the shoulds, the prescribed way, the traditional way, um, and allowing things to flow and trusting 
uh, that part of the process. Great. So I'm presuming in the course of this workshop that there's a whole range of emotions, you know, from frustration to, oh, no, I don't want to really do this to, <laughs> I, I mean, tell us about those emotions before I put words in your mouth. No, you, your words are completely accurate. You're you're very tuned in. Although I will say overall, my experience was very energizing and uplifting, but I had to deal with my resistance, you know, coming up on something ugly, and I don't want to take a picture of something ugly. Why should I take a picture of something ugly? I'm all about finding beauty, and if I'm going to be spending my time, shouldn't I be capturing something that I like? And so there's there's that, but then there's the... There's the sort of that feeling of almost like um, like a buoyancy or a lightness um, when when from sort of following like trusting the process and doing what was asked and discovering these unexpected you know sort of gifts and humorous things in the middle of the sidewalk. So there's um, there's levity and a sense of joy and all sorts of things combined, which I guess is a metaphor for life, right? It's all of those things yeah. packed in. That is life. It, and it is, the, <laughs> I think, it's all of them packed in together. Exactly right. Some in one proportion to others, but that's okay. Now, uh, this is being a little bit unfair, Andrea, but I'm interested in your fellow workshop participants. Were they all yeah. having similar experiences? As far as I could tell, um, yeah, I mean, we all really treasured uh, what, Amy, you characterized earlier as a walking or seeing meditation. I hadn't really thought of it that way until you just put those words around it. But just in and of itself, having that time to just explore and be on our own, many of us commented on, the majority of us, if not all of us, commented on what a gift that was in and of itself. And Amy had even offered to us that if we wanted to take a break and have lunch together, sort of in community, we could. And one of the participants had the courage to say, you know what, at the risk of sounding offensive, it's just, I just want to be on my own. There's so many demands for me in everyday life that I would treasure just having a couple of quiet hours to myself. And the rest of us chimed in and said, oh, yes, thank goodness you said that. That's what we want, too. (laughs) So there was a... No, it's true. There was like a like a rejuvenation, a, a recalibration, um, a shared. If I could, inter- uh, yeah. Good. Go, Amy. Go. I, I just want to kind of add to what you're saying, Andrea, because I think what I saw is that there's this, it's a taste of freedom. You know, especially when you know that there there are no wrong answers here. There's no way for you to get this wrong. So this is total relief, and you've got this time on your own where no one's tugging at your sleeves. You 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 know these are people who are used to always having a destination or a goal or a, a bias right. toward productivity. So this is a whole right. new experience. Completely. <laughs> Great. Well, and you both spoke earlier about the trap of expertise and what a relief it is to just allow ourselves to step away from that. We don't have to know. We just have to be. Mm -hmm. Mm 
I think we don't have too many of those experiences. In fact, I think we're so baked into our own heads about the need to be the expert and to know the answer, we can't even stop to analyze it. One of my big pet (laughs) themes, as I'm sure everybody is really aware of. So, Andrea, what I find is interesting about this one is you did it one time and then you came back to do it a second time. And, you know, sometimes when you use a metaphor or a new way of seeing, thinking, it works brilliantly because it's novel. But when you come back to it a second time, it sort of starts to lose its magic. Did you find that it had just as much impact the second time around? I, I, it may not sound credible to say so. I swear Amy hasn't paid me to say it, but yes, it absolutely did. Even though I sort of knew kind of the little secret approach that Amy takes and it just didn't matter as I just, as long as I followed the process and was true to being in the process in the moment, it was just as magical, if not more so the second time than it was the first. Great. Now I'm curious to try this with um, actually with a team of people that are struggling mm. with how to achieve a particular goal together as a team and kind of wondering how that would break open the team performance. Amy, have you done that with an intact team? I haven't yet, but I am dying to. So if you know of anybody that's got a team that wants to try it, you know, I think, you know, this is what I have in mind. This is exactly what I have in mind, Wanda. I think it, it, it's so powerful in so many different situations. Yeah, yeah. I can see well, this in and, lots of places. And if I may, like I could imagine a team, if you imagined, um, I have this collage of pictures that I created, especially I, I created my own little PowerPoint slideshow, if you will, of especially the ugly to the beauty, because I was just so taken by it. And if you imagine if a team were working on a problem and they captured this collage or a collection of images that they could then have present for themselves on an ongoing basis as a, you know, a reminder or a trigger of this experience, how impactful that could be. Yeah. I was, you know, um, and, and I think, Go ahead, as a team, if, as a team, if you're able to then sort of come up with a common metaphor for their mm-hmm. uh, for their goals and for their vision, that's pretty powerful too. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, I spent a good bit of time with teams, including just last week. I was with a team trying to help them come together and understood understand the journey that's ahead of them in learning to rely on each other. And that's a very, and you know, one of my big things about teams and getting teams to really drive performance is to create, I know you use the word psychological safety, but it's deeper than that for me, is that willingness to be vulnerable, to say, I don't know, to let down your guard, to um, show the both the bright sides and the dark sides of you, and kind of everybody embraces that. And it strikes me, Amy and Andrea, that this methodology could be another way of getting a team to see each other in a different way, to understand the strength of the team in a different way. Spot on. Spot on. And, you know, that's exactly what we want to do. And it it kind of takes some of the the fear out of it because we're, we're talking about the metaphors. We're, we're, we're kind of removing it one step from the person and talking about their metaphors, which really helps them understand you better. So for instance, if, you know, if you've got a team and you want each person to really understand what everyone else's job is like, let's talk about what their job is like, not what their job is, but what it's like. So if you know that I view my job as rolling a 
giant boulder uphill all day, you might want to help get some things out of my way or you might want to help get me some help to push this thing up the hill. So it, it takes it out of the literal, well, my job is to communicate this and that to, you know, and to really put it in other terms so we can all understand it because metaphor is how we understand concepts. Yeah, it's way under tapped. And our communication is the power of metaphor. I know I say this all the time when people are trying to sell change or sell an idea or to make a message sticky, that metaphor is a really powerful one. But people look at me then with, what are you talking about, Wanda? We don't know what metaphor, what do you mean by metaphor? This is a great one. You know, see the beauty and the ugly is a great metaphor. Great. Yeah, and there's so, it's it's an unlimited treasure trove. Yeah, yeah. I I just I'm really struck by the um, using such an unexpected path, a camera lens, your iPhone lens, or whatever phone it is that you have, with a guided process, and then bringing that back and having a group of people, the te- the group that you're with, as well as a brilliant facilitator and Amy, help you see what you haven't seen before, and use that as a way of unlocking thinking. I just think that is such a brilliant metaphor. So, Amy, excellent. Um, we've got about two minutes. So, any last piece of advice, Andrea, you would give to somebody who was trying, who was thinking about using this? Um. Yeah, just go for it. <laughs> you know, give it a try. And the, yeah, that's my advice. Go for it. Or and, and if there's something about this that doesn't have a specific appeal, find something that takes you outside of the everyday, outside of your normal way of looking, seeing, approaching. Do something that removes you from that habitual track, if you will. Because um, I think that's, that's as leaders, as I work a lot with consultants, as consultants, that's what we really need to be as effective as we can possibly be. That's great. All right. And Amy, any last pieces of advice from you? Well, I, I, I want to piggyback on Andrea. I think, you know, go for it and find someone. You know, you mentioned this earlier, Wanda. You can't do this alone. You're not going to shift the way you think by sitting around thinking about ways to shift your thinking. So find someone someone to have this conversation with and go out and look. If if all you do after after you hear this podcast is go out and look for something in your office that you've never noticed before, that will start the process of teaching you how to shift your focus. Fabulous. All right. Amy, thank you so much. It's been a delight. I have so much I want to say about this one. But to me, the whole notion, again, of being able to look at a problem with a different focus and to see through the way I've always seen it. And I can imagine this whether I'm struggling with a person, with a situation, with a particular goal, with a framework, I mean, any number of them to just see what I haven't seen before. It seems to strike me as really a useful thing in life in general. And I can see why it's hugely beneficial for teams as well as for leaders looking at what really matters to them. So, Amy, thanks for being with me today. And, Andrea, thanks for sharing your story. If you want to know more, go to Amy's website, www.ovation.coach. And join us next week for another episode of Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. 
Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.